Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Hey, this is Pastor Josh, and this last Sunday, August the 5th, we had a very special guest, Pastor Nate Franklin, Associate Pastor at Cornerstone Fresno. More importantly, he's a great friend of mine, and I invited him to come speak uh, to us at Hosanna Worship Center, and he brought a very powerful and to-the-point message that I wanted you to hear. So here is that message from him, and I hope you enjoy it, because I did. God bless. My sermon today is, how can we find the remedy of distraction? Because distraction is all around. And as we go to follow Jesus, there will be one thing that constantly beckons us, and that's everything else. It's distraction itself. Can we pray? Let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak to us today, God, that your spirit would be here, that you would move in this place as you already have. God, we know that you're present. We don't have to beg you to be here, God. We just ask that you would speak to us, that you would move towards us today, God. And we're thankful for your word that doesn't just speak to the eternal side of our life, but it speaks to practically following you. And so help us to learn today, help us to hear from you, help us to be challenged, help us to be convicted, and more importantly, help us to be changed. Changed to see you today. I thank you for what you're going to speak today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Distraction, distraction is real, right? Distraction is real. I, um, I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a focused guy. I'm like, I'm one of those guys. I can't do a whole lot of things at once. I've got one thing in mind. If I'm a one track minded person, if I've got a project, I'm going to stay on it. Or I should say this way. If I've got sports on the TV, like just don't get in my way. I just hate it. I'm just, can I just be honest? Can we be honest in here? I hate when I'm sitting and watching, uh, watching TV and more than anything, watching sports. Cause that's what I really make time to watch. Start watching sports. And it, it seems like it's just then that everybody wants to to come into the room and have conversations. It seems right when it's getting to a good part that everybody wants to come and stand right in front of what I'm trying to focus on. I don't know about you. I'm not the, I'm not the most carefree guy to just be like, yeah, you know, sports don't matter. I know in the end scheme of things, sports don't play a lick of a role in our eternal like destination. I get it, but I like it, all right? So I like sports. I like competition. So I have to acknowledge that I get a little irritated, maybe not just irritated, I get a little frustrated because I don't know how to communicate to people that are trying to have conversations with me when I'm watching a big screen TV, like there's something going on. It does something, not just to missing the moment, but it does something into inside of my heart. My heart starts to beat a little bit. I start to, start to breathe a little shorter breaths. You're like, wait, pastor gets you know, moved by external circumstances. Yes, we're real people. So I'm acknowledging, I'm being honest up here, that in moments that people want to come and have conversations when it's not time to have conversations and it's time to watch a team win something or watch a team lose something. Yes, I root for people to lose too. I I need to be saved. I need God to help change that. Okay, so I'm watching. it. It doesn't just affect what I'm receiving. It actually changes me more than what I'm receiving. It affects my blood pressure. It affects how I think, that I'm not thinking clearly. I'm starting to 
think that the person in the room is an evil person now. I'm starting to draw these pictures in my brain of what I could do to move this person and how I could just put them in another room for a second. That's what happens when we get distracted. When we're focused on something and yet distraction comes, distraction just doesn't affect the thing that we're focusing on. But honestly, it affects us more than the thing that we're focusing on. When there's things that get in our way in life of the things that we've got ahead of us, the goals that we've got or the callings of God in our life, when distraction comes, I want to let you know it's going to affect you more than it's going to affect anybody else. It's going to affect the way you think. It's going to affect the way you think about yourself. It's going to affect the way that you think about others. It's going to affect the way that you feel. It's going to affect the way that you sleep. It's going to affect the way that you respond. Distraction isn't just going to, uh, isn't just going to get you to miss out on something, but it's actually going to change you. But Peter got distracted. Distraction, honestly, is the thing that leads to anxiety. Wow, we got real quiet right there. <laughs> Anxiety is, a, is more common now than it ever has been before. We've come up with, we've come up with, um, come up with ways of describing, I don't want to call it a sickness, but it's a ways of describing our anxiety now where we've got this thing called FOMO. It's called fear of missing out. Because we see more of everybody else's life now than we ever have been engaged with before. People that we don't even know across the globe. And we have this anxiety that we wake up with. It's called fear of missing out. That it's like, my life isn't where I think that it should be regard, uh, uh, compared to so-and-so. And that's, not just, that's just one category. We've got ways to describe our anxiety because anxiety is running rampant. But I, I don't know about you. I've been in church all of my life. I grew up in church. I couldn't tell you that I was following Jesus all of my life. I can tell you the point, the moment where my life changed. I can tell you that. But I grew up in church, so I've heard a lot of scripture. Um, and I'd always, I would always hear from pastors. They'd get up, and I, I've gone to, as you can see and you might see today, I'm a little rambunctious, I'm a little loud, and I get a little excited. So those are the kind of churches that I grew up in. Um, and so pastors, don't fear. Don't worry. Just, just throw it out. You're not gonna, that's not going to come. Don't be anxious. Don't let your circumstances. They would, they would yell louder and louder as, as if the louder that they yelled, the easier it was to do. I found, no matter how many times I heard that, Monday came, and worry came. Or Wednesday came, and stress started to come. Or Friday came, and anxiety set in. And I'd hear pastor after pastor tell me, don't be anxious, don't be stressed, don't be worried. I found Monday through Friday, Monday through Sunday, I... I couldn't quite figure out how to do that. I was constantly in this state of anxiety, this state of worry, or this state of stress. From one day to the other, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us live that way. Maybe not consistently, but that we live with stress, and we live with anxiety, and we live with worry. But the pastors were, that I grew up with were telling the truth. We're commanded not to be anxious. We're called to not worry. We were created to not carry any stress. 
So those things that the pastors were, were commanding and, and yelling from the stage, they were true statements, but I could not find out how to live them. Then we go to the text. Philippians chapter 4, I think we've got Philippians 4 up there. Philippians chapter 4 tells us, I'm going to read, let's see what we've got up there. Philippians 4, if not, Philippians 4, verse 6, 7, 8, and 9. If you want to go there, let's look at that. And then you can stay there because we're going to go back and forth to that verse. Philippians 4, 6, uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9. 6 starts with this. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Really? Anything? Ever? Relationships? Don't get anxious about relationships. Don't get anxious about your responsibilities. Don't get anxious about your righteousness. Don't get anxious about anything. I, I read these words and I say, how, how, can I, how can I do this? Well, let, let me, before we go here, can we go to Matthew? Can we go to Matthew 6? Because it starts here that Paul writes this letter of don't be anxious, but Jesus uses this same command. And in Matthew chapter 6, I think it starts in 33. Matthew 6, 33, he tells us, Jesus tells us, and I'll wait so that y'all can read it because Jesus, God's word is powerful. He sets the scene. He's got this group of people that are waiting and, and hearing his words. And he's, he's got this long sermon. Uh, they would call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he's just given wisdom. Jesus is given wisdom. And in Matthew chapter 6, 33, if they've got it, they don't. If not, Matthew 6, 33, it says this. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And then he follows that and he says, and don't be anxious about tomorrow. For today has enough trouble of its own, and tomorrow will take care of itself. I go to this verse because these words of Jesus give us a little bit more description of what this idea of anxiety actually is, what this word anxiety actually means. Go to, go to the next verse, go to 34. What this word anxiety says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. Some of y'all are worried about tomorrow. It's Sunday and y'all are worried you're thinking something about tomorrow. You got work tomorrow. You've got job tomorrow. You got bills tomorrow. You got responsibility. We've always got tomorrow in our mind. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But Jesus says, don't, don't be anxious about it. Don't spend your right now, your today, on tomorrow's troubles. Can I, can I clarify this a little bit more? Don't spend the resources that you have been given, life, energy, health, family, all the resources that God has blessed us with in the moment, in today. See, Jesus was the first one that, that came up with this idea of YOLO, like rappers say that, or they did say that. YOLO, you only live once. The idea is live in the moment, live for now. That's not something they came up with. That's something that Jesus knew was the best way for us to live. That if we stopped worrying about tomorrow, we could actually accomplish all that he has called us to be and accomplish today. But most of the time, we spend all of our resources worried about tomorrow. Or it may not be tomorrow, but it may be Friday. 
Friday, Saturday, a year from now or two years from now. You may be somebody that's got a full family and everybody's on you. So you are worried about the decision of your job come two years. Am I going to make a career change? Or some of you are in a relationship and you're deciding, is this the right relationship? Will I need to be somewhere in the next coming season? What's going to happen? And we find ourselves spending most of our moments in the day scrolling through Instagram, comparing ourselves to other people and why we have not arrived yet. What we're doing in those moments is we are finding ourselves living into tomorrow while we're actually living today. And if that's not our problem, that we're, that we're trying to spend our resources on tomorrow, we are trying to justify why we don't deserve our resources today because of yesterday. That God has blessed you where you are. You don't understand why he's changed you, why he's rearranged your life, why he has given you new family or newness today because yesterday you did this, that, and another. And so we spend all of today trying to explain away yesterday. And we spend all of our time, our resources, caught in between tomorrow and yesterday. And in the moment, we're stressed out. You know, this word anxiety, it, we, we use it so often, but I'm not sure we actually know what it means. Anxiety, going back to the Greek word, word that we pulled out into the English word anxiety, anxiety from the Greek, the original means many cares in many directions. Many cares in many directions. I'm caring about tomorrow and I'm caring about yesterday at the same time. You ever, have you ever thought about anxiety and you just feel like you're being torn into two different places? Or it may not be two different places. It may be three, four, five, six. You feel like, I can't go anywhere. And you, found, you find yourself immobile, unca- incapable of, of being able to take any step forward in life because you're pulled forward between your relationships, your responsibilities, your righteousness, your tomorrow, and your yesterday. And so your prayer is, God, what what do I do? I feel like I can't do anything. So you've got sleepless nights. Mind you, let's go back to Matthew 14. That was the fourth watch of the night. You got to imagine those disciples in the middle of the storm. They weren't sleeping if it was the fourth watch of the night. They were so worried about the storm. They were so worried about the waves. They were so worried about what was going to come. And if they were going to make it to tomorrow, if they had enough stuff to get by this storm, if they had enough resource, if they had been educated enough in their, in, as a sailor, as a fisherman to get through the storm. So their yesterday and their tomorrow dictated their worry in the now. Most of the reason why we are worried, we spend our time stressed or anxious is because we have many cares in many directions. It's distraction. It's many cares in many directions. Jesus says in Matthew 6 that we just read, seek first the kingdom of God, all of his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For today has enough trouble of its own. What he's telling us here is he's telling us Live now. Live in the moment. Don't live tomorrow. Live today. Stop caring about everything that's going to come and care about what is here. What is here now. I I tell you, that's us living in the moment. But distraction is all around us. But distraction is nothing new. This idea of divided attention is nothing new. That's what distraction is. It's divided attention, having cares in many different directions. 
Genesis, excuse me, Genesis chapter three tells us this story. That God in one and two creates the beautiful earth that we live on. And he creates beautiful people like you and me. Right? Can I get an amen? Right? God created beautiful people. He created a beautiful world that we live in. And then we get to three. And after, he created a beautiful, after he created a beautiful world and created beautiful people for that beautiful world, we get to chapter three and we get the conversation of choice. And in this conversation, we've got Eve. Eve. She's a woman, and that's all I'm saying. She's a woman. I'm not making any opinions, so don't read into this. It's just Eve. Adam is there by his side, okay, by her side, there. Eve, but Eve is the one having the conversation. I don't need y'all to write Pastor Josh this week and be like, we can't ever have him anymore. <laughs> Love women, all right? But it's Eve. So Eve's having a conversation. Eve's having a conversation, a conversation. Adam's at fault, too. Eve's having a conversation with a serpent. Right? So Eve is in the garden. God tells at the end of chapter two, you can eat of anything in this garden to the beautiful people. He goes, you can eat of anything in the garden except for the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Right? So we go fast forward to three. We've got beautiful people in a beautiful world. And then we've got this serpent. And this serpent, this ugly snake, I, I just can't believe that God created all of this beauty and this snake was beautiful. I just, it's got, it had to have stood out. But the one thing that got uh, Eve's attention was it says that the serpent was having a conversation with Eve. That would get my attention too. That's pretty, pretty amazing that a serpent is having a conversation with a woman. I don't know how many times you've seen that happen, but Eve has a pretty spectacular thing happen. And, a, and the serpent is having a conversation with Eve. He says, hey, why don't you eat of this tree? And he's hanging out in the tree that she's not supposed to be eating of, right? Of course, the amazement happens in the areas that we're not supposed to be at. I'm going to go off on a tangent if I start walking down that road. The amazement happens in the areas of our life that we're not supposed to be in. And you wonder why you're anxious, because you're being distracted by the amazing things that are happening in areas that God called you not to be in. So the serpent is hanging out in the tree that he's not supposed to be in. Eve is close enough to the tree. You know, I've heard this in church. I grew up. I have conversations now as a pastor with people. They're like, well, we're not sinning, but we're getting real close. There's a boundary line, never crossed it, never crossed it, but I'm gonna get real close to it. Jesus never said I couldn't get close. So you see people in their lives, if this, this, this cord or this stair, this stair is the boundary line, you see a lot of Christians that have been changed, have been saved, come to know Jesus, and in our walk of, our, our walk of faith and get to closer to him, we see something that's on the other side of the line that we want and we desire, and what do we do? We get as close to the boundary. Don't worry, God. I got this. Not crossing it. Wisdom comes by through pastors, leaders, parents, and they say, hey, you should probably back off that a little bit. You don't know if that boundary line's gonna grow. You know you can't handle your own desires, but what we end up doing is we end up getting closer and closer. So Eve was close to a tree that she shouldn't have been in. She had all of the garden to hang out in, but she was in a place that she probably shouldn't have been in because there was one thing that God asked them not to do, and that was, eat of, that was not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve is right there, and the serpent's hanging out in there. Serpent's on one side of the boundary line, Eve's on the other side of the boundary line, having a conversation. Eve is just like me, she would have been amazed. Wait, 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 time out, serpent talking to me, I gotta figure this one out. 
So she has this conversation and the serpent says, hey, why don't you take, a, why don't you take one of these apples, why don't you take one of these fruits off the tree? Oh, well, we can't do that. We were told, and this is what Eve says, we were told that we can't eat of it or we can't touch it. So now Eve, being close to the boundary line, is about to set herself another boundary that God never set for her. Because God's word to them were, you cannot eat of it. It said nothing about watering it. It said nothing about being in it. It said nothing about, uh, it said nothing about touching it. But Eve now recognizes that the serpent is trying to deceive her. She thinks she's smart. And so she sees this amazing serpent that's talking to her and says, oh, no, 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 we can't eat it or even touch it. I got this together. I'm going to serve God. This tree that I'm close to, I'm not going to eat or touch of it. Serpent's not going to fool me. She says, why? Serpent asks the question of why. why. Why would serpent ask the question of why? Because God didn't give the answer of why. How many times in our life have we allowed the question of why? Why can't I have? Why is that not right? Why, why shouldn't I do that? Why, should I, why, shouldn't I, why should I stay away from that person? Why shouldn't I go to that job? Why, why is that bad for me? How many times has the question of why caused us to walk into areas that have created more anxiety, more distraction from what God has called us to, and more destruction in our life? God doesn't always give us answers of why. God just tells us what to do and asks us to be obedient. Because some things that God asks us to do are not for us to understand. They're for us to follow. And so God gives this instruction to Eve that she is just to not eat of this even Adam, Adam and Eve, to not eat of this fruit. And, uh, and so the serpent says, why did he say that? I think he said it. So now the serpent plucks his opinion in there. He says, I think he said that because he doesn't want you to be wise like him. He doesn't want you to be wise like him. And Eve said, what do you mean? Well, that would give you new knowledge. It would give you, new, it would give you goodness. You would be equal with God. And so what does Eve do? Eve takes the apple and Eve eats the apple. Eve ended up eating the apple because she allowed distraction to get to her. Eve ate the apple because she allowed distraction to get to her. It says right after that, it says that once they ate the apple, both of them said that their eyes were open. Their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. They saw that they had done something despicable. They saw that they had disobeyed God. From the very beginning of time, the enemy has been trying to distract us with life. And why is he trying to distract us? He's trying to distract you and he's trying to distract me. Because God's got a call for your life. Because God's got a purpose for you. And the enemy knows, I may not be able to, I may not be able to, uh, I may not be able to overpower you. I may not be able to dictate what you do, but if I distract you long enough, you're going to start asking why long enough that you end up down a road that you didn't, never wanted to be on. And Eve ended in a road that I found myself in plenty of times, that I thought that I knew better, that I thought that I could handle it. But I went directly against what God had asked of me. This is just the beginning. But this has been happening since then. And for all of us, the enemy wants to do one thing. 
1 Peter 5, 8 says that the enemy seeks around like a roaring lion, looking at whom he may devour. 2 Corinthians eleven three says that in the cunningness of the serpent is what distracted Eve and caused the fall. If the devil can't devour you, the devil will definitely distract you. I'll say that again. If the devil can't devour you, the devil will definitely distract you. Not every good thing is a God thing. Eve saw in Genesis chapter three and she saw that the fruit was good, but the fruit was not a God fruit. God did not ordain it. God did not dictate it. God actually declared and commanded against it. But because it was a good thing does not mean it's a God thing. And there are areas in our life that we have spent so much time in yesterday or so much time worrying about tomorrow that we're like, but it's a good thing, God. Can I tell you that not every good thing is a God thing. And if we find ourselves just going off of good things, we're going to be easily distracted by the cunningness of the enemy. Oh, but I'm going to get more followers if I do this. Oh, but my family seems like they're going to be more financially set if I work seven days a week, if I'm never able to worship God on a Sunday, if I'm never able to bring my family into the house of God, but my family will be set up. No, 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 no. The enemy is using the cunningness of culture to distract you from the call that God has called you to be, the person that he has dictated you for. And so if we look at every good thing, and we follow it, we're going to miss out on the God thing. And so we see that the enemy and all of his craftiness from the beginning of time is trying to devour us and he's trying to divide us. So how do we remedy this? Let's go to Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4, we've got it up there. Philippians 4, 6, uh, 6 7, 8, and 9. So he says in verse 6, he says, do not be anxious. I've got it right here. Do not... Uh, do not be anxious about anything. So here's the answer. How do we walk this out? If anxiety is divided attention, cares, many cares in many directions, how do we remedy distraction? He says, but in everything, everything. Everyone say everything. Not something, not one thing, not, sun, not just Sundays, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, or the other word would be petition. Petition is directed request to God with thanksgiving. So now he's saying, in all that goes on in your life, don't be anxious about it, but it's real. There's a storm happening. There's circumstances that you're living in that are overwhelming you. He's saying, acknowledge that and acknowledge that to God. He's saying, make your requests known to God. Pray to him. Make directed requests. Don't just make prayers. Here's our problem most of the time when we're in church is we make general prayers as if our God wants a general relationship. I don't want a general relationship with a general God. I want a specific one-on-one conversation with him. I want to know as he says that he loves me, not just that he loves us. Yes, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. But there are many scriptures that tell me that he is bought me with the price, that he has written his name on my heart, that he has branded me with his Holy Spirit. There are many independent scriptures that tell me that God doesn't just love the world generally, but God loves us specifically. And so if we want a general relationship, we'll keep your general prayers. And our general prayers look like this. God, help my day. Help me do what you want me to do. Amen. God, can you fix my family? God, can you, uh, can you help me get that job? God, I'm, I'm stressed out. That's a change in prayer. 
Start making specific petitions to God, directed petitions and requests to God, and watch God answer your directed petitions. I think the reason why that we don't make directed petitions is because we don't believe that God can answer our directed petitions. That we don't believe that he is a God who is God and a God who is able to do what we ask him to do. Not because we dictate, but because he's a loving God that is engaged with our life and engaged with our journey. And so Philippians 4 reminds us, don't be anxious, but take those cares, those many cares in many directions and throw them in one direction. Give them to a God and give them to a God what? When you make requests to God that are specific, you are recognizing two things, that he is God and that he is able. And then there's one thing that can reorganize or change the trajectory of your life. It's to recognize this, that he is God and that he is able. If you could just wake up every morning and with the struggles that you go through, with the weight that is on your shoulders, with the stress that is about your family, family and you turn to God and you say, God, I am stressed out as the father and I don't understand how my family is going to do this, that, and another, but God, you are God. If you could just start there, you are God and you are able to do things that I cannot do. You are able to see things that I cannot see. I am a limited being who has limited resources, but you are an omniscient God. You know everything. You are omnipresent. You are everywhere. You are omnipotent, which means you are all powerful. And that means that you are above me in my position. If we as believers could just start that. Hosanna, catch this. If you want to see your neighborhoods change, start to live a life that shows that belief, that I believe that he is God and that he is able. I believe that he is God and he is able. No matter what circumstance that you walk through, I believe that he is God and that he is able. That's what happens when we make requests known to him. You are acknowledging that I trust him. When I don't make requests known to him, I am acknowledging that I don't trust him and that I only trust me. That's where I get stressed out. That's where I start to worry. That's where I wake up in the middle of the night. How am I going to figure this out? Because that's my problem. I start to ask, how am I going to figure this out? He says that you would make your requests known to God, a God who hears you, a God who loves you, a God who understands, a God who has been there many people before you have even gotten here. A God has walked out your place plan of life for you, that if we make our requests known to God, God, being at the center of your life, will start to rearrange things the way that he wants them rearranged. It says, don't be anxious. Don't have many cares in many directions, but take those cares. Don't throw them away because they matter and throw them at a God who cares. That you are a God who loves me, that you are a God who cares for me, and you are God and you are able as we continue reading that, it says, what's the next verse? Go, go to the next verse. Nope, nursery. Okay. And here's what happens. When we acknowledge that he is God and he is able, here's, the, here's what happens after that. And the peace of God. Everyone say the peace of God. The peace of God. How many of y'all want peace in your life? I want peace in my life. There are times when I acknowledge that I am God, peace is not here. But when I want peace in my life, I've got to acknowledge that God is God. That God is God and that God is able. And when we acknowledge that, it says that the peace of God. Let me tell you about this peace. This peace is not this feeling, this euphoric feeling. It's not the 60s and the 70s. It's not just like nirvana. It's not that. The peace of God, this idea of the peace of God actually uh, is the opposite of what we read with anxiety. Cares in many directions. It says it takes uh, turbulence that comes from the cares in many directions and it brings them united. 
It removes turbulence and it brings unity. This idea of peace is unity. It's the same phrase that um, the Jewish culture would leave on, that they would use in welcoming and leaving. It's that we would want unity, that peace would be with you, that unity, that your life would not be a wreck, but your life would be together. That the togetherness of God, not the, not the separate, not the divided attention, not the struggles of a hundred different things that are going on in your life, not 99 problems, but the togetherness of God, the unity in your life. That the peace of God, and here's what it says, is it says that it will surpass all understanding. Or it says this, I love this word, transcends all understanding. That you're not gonna understand what happened. But when you trust God, when you lean to him, I'm not gonna make my request known to, I'm not gonna ask somebody for something. I'm not gonna ask Josh for a million dollars. You wanna know why? Because he ain't got a million dollars. And so I know, I'm a good friend of his, I know, you got, got another kid on the way, he needs his million dollars if he's got it, but he ain't got it. He ain't got a million dollars, so I'm not, it'd be ridiculous for me to request you, because I don't even believe that you got it. But I could ask, but I'd ask you for five dollars, and it could be a sincere ask, I can ask you for a hundred dollars, it'd be a sincere ask, because I know that he's able to fulfill that. When we make requests known to God, we're acknowledging that he is able to fulfill that. And in us having that transaction to say you are a God who is able, you're able to fulfill, he then gives us a peace, a togetherness in all of our situation that we may not understand. We don't understand how things work together. We don't understand what he does, but there is a peace that circumstance doesn't change, but my perspective in this does because God is God and God is able. And here's what it says. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This idea, guards, it's also in 1 Peter 1, 5, that we are guarded in our journey of faithfulness towards Jesus, that we are actually guarded with salvation. What that means is that we are protected, that nothing can get in. When we trust that God is God and that God is able, no matter what the circumstance is, that nothing can get into your heart and nothing can get into your mind. The heart talks about the center of our being. The center of our being, not, the, not what beats, but the center of our being, our belief system, how we live. That's what the heart refers to, that nothing will get in your heart. Nothing will tell you, no doubt will get in you, no insecurity will come. When you trust that God is God and that God is able, he says that the peace of God will stand in front. This is not a defensive position. This is actually an offensive protective position, that they would set guards outside of the city gates to ensure that no unwanted people would pursue further. God says that if you trust that I am God, I will stand at the doorway of your heart and ensure that no doubt, no insecurity, nothing that is not supposed to be unwanted, uh, uh, no unwanted passers, pa people that pass by will get into your heart because God stands there in the same thing with your mind where your output of your life is. You will no longer be frustrated. You will no longer be worried. You will no longer be stressed. You will have the joy of the Lord, which then becomes your strength because he is standing at the doorways and saying, you trust me, so let me take care of you. But what do we do in the meantime? If I make a request known to him and I trust him, what do I do in the meantime? Let's go to Philippians 4.8, and I'm just going to read through this and uh, let, you, let you see this. Philippians 4.8 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Let's go to the next one. 
whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what do we do? Because we spend our mind thinking all the time, which then creates our anxiety because we're thinking about ourselves. We want to think on these things. These things are what? They are glimpses of a holy and good God. I don't think you're following with me. They are glimpses of a holy and a good God. Where there is opinion, God is not present. Where there is truth, God is present. Scriptures say God is love. Where there is love, God is present. Where there is excellence, there is no excellence like God. In Genesis 1 and 2, when we see, and God saw that it was good, we, we use that word good too flippantly. Good means it was good. It was done. It was done the way that it was supposed to be. It was excellent. If there's anything commendable. If there's anything honorable. There's no honor due except for the, the honor that's due to God. And that comes, in, uh, that comes from God's presence. That comes from who he is and the authority that he carries. These things that, that Paul tells the church in Philippi to look at are things that point to who God is. When you're in your situation, in your circumstance, when you need a miracle, I love what the person said today, whoever the Spirit spoke through today, said don't look to the left and don't look to the right. No, look forward to Jesus. Hebrews 12 says that we would look, keep our eyes on Jesus. If we would just keep our eyes on Jesus, we would start, we would stop saying, man, my life is so broken. Man, I've got, I don't have it all together. Everything is falling apart. And we would start to say, man, there's some good in this. Man, I can see the love of God moving through that. Man, I can see that there's truth in that. There's no truth in that. I'm going to start walking towards what's true. I'm going to start walking towards what's honorable. I'm going to start walking towards what's praiseworthy. I'm going to start walking in a direction and where anxiety makes you immobile. I'm going to tell you that the trust that you find in who Jesus is will start putting passion and purpose behind you because you know that a God is God and God is able that if I just follow wherever God is walking that I'm going to be in the right spot at the right time. Last part of that verse says that and all of that is to be seated in Christ. Here's where anxiety comes from. It comes from you and it comes from me. I am at the center of my life when I'm anxious, when I'm worried and when I'm stressed. I'm worried about what I can do or what I can't do. But if you can seat your life in the hands of Jesus, in Christ Jesus, not just Jesus that we read in the New Testament, Christ Jesus who has overcome death, hell, and the grave so that we can have a connection with our Heavenly Father, that we can have a doorway to His presence, that we can see His, His power walk through our life, His authority be shown through our life. If we could just stand in who Jesus is, standing firm, not in you, but in Him, it says that the peace of God walks through you. So I'm going to close. Philip, come up here. I'm going to tell one story, and I'm going to let Josh tell us where we're going to go. So let's go back to the first story. We've got Peter in the water, right? Peter in a boat. Storms are raging. Peter's in a boat. Peter steps out of a boat. He sees Jesus. Yes, he sees Jesus, steps out of the boat. Jesus called me to come. Peter walks on water. Peter walks on water. Peter sees the wind. He gets distracted, Correct? He gets distracted, he falls, he starts to sing, he starts to sink, and then it says that he, he shouts out, he shouts out with a, loud, with a loud voice, he says, Lord, save me! It says immediately Jesus reached out his hand. And I love this because the proximity had to have been there, that Jesus was just close enough to Peter 
It doesn't say that Peter got all of his way to Jesus. It just says that as Peter was faithfully trying to do what Jesus asked him to do, that he lost sight, that he got distracted. But Jesus, but Jesus immediately reached down his hand. It says that Peter grabbed a hand, that they grabbed hands together, that there was a hand that was reached out in the middle of a broken situation. I could just imagine seeing all the waves up to my eyes, being drowned by the sea, just reaching my hand out in hope that when I saw that hand, I may not have seen Jesus. Jesus, but I saw the hand of God. There are some of you in your life, you need to just stop for a second. You feel that you are sinking, that you are losing life. You don't know which way to go. There is turbulence all around you. You need a miracle. Can you just stand up and say, Lord, save me? Because when you do that, when you eliminate yourself, when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, God says, I will reach down and I will lift you up. And he says that Peter was lifted up. Peter was put back in the boat. There are some of you in your life right now that need to just acknowledge I have been trying to do life on my own for too long. And it may not happen on Sundays, but it's on Monday and Saturday, Monday, Monday through Saturday that I, that I try to handle life by myself. God is saying today the remedy of distraction is focus on Jesus. Not to the left, not to the right, but focus on Jesus. And it's as we focus on Jesus, and here's what I love. The story tells us of Peter. He saw Jesus before they were doing the fourth watch of the night. They were focused on the storm. They saw Jesus. Their focus moved to Jesus. Their focus wasn't distraction. It was Jesus. And when Peter saw Jesus, he did unimaginable things. But he walked on water. He focused on Jesus. And then you're like, well, he, he lost focus. Yeah, I've lost focus. I've fallen short, so let's not ridicule Peter. I do it all the time that I try to do things on my own. But Jesus does this. Hey, son, daughter, come back up. Let's try this again. See, because it doesn't matter whether you see Jesus prior to the storm. You see Jesus in the middle of the storm, or you're like Peter and you see Jesus post the storm. Jesus is there waiting for you just acknowledge that I'm trying to do it on my own again. Today, God wants to give you